Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, Merry Christmas. This is the last day of Advent. When I was growing up, I thought Advent was a chocolate calendar you got in the month of December. But Advent is really a season. It's the, it's a, it comes from a Latin word that means the coming or the arrival. And the Advent season are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas where we prepare ourselves spiritually to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so over the course of the last number of weeks, if you've been here at One Church CEO, if you haven't, we're glad you're here tonight. Uh, we've lit these candles that are significant in meaning. We lit the candle of hope because with the birth of Jesus, hope is coming to the world. We lit the candle of peace, that we could have peace between God and us. We lit the candle of joy, a joy that could be your strength, that defies your circumstances. And tonight, we get lit the candle of love. So for a few minutes tonight, I want to talk to you about love. How many love love stories? There's a few of you. There's a few of you. Now, growing up in the home I grew up in, uh, there, I have five siblings. Uh, my oldest sister loved Hallmark movies. Do you know what a Hallmark movie is? So, there's, a, there's a Hallmark greeting card company. They're basically greeting card movies. They're love movies that are, my brothers and I hated them. We hated them. I'll tell you why, why, and some of you are probably offended because if you love Hallmark movies, you're like, how could you hate it? This morning in the gathering, because we had our first Christmas Eve gathering this morning, a man met me, met me right in the middle aisle after, and he said, why'd you have to go at me with my Hallmark movies? And he loves his Hallmark movies. He says, my wife doesn't at all, but you, I, I, did, I couldn't stand them. And I know some of you can because of their literary depth, Right? I mean, the, 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 the grandeur of the cinematic grandeur of them or the colossal creativity of them. I mean, with titles like this, how can you go wrong? A Perfect Christmas. Has anyone ever had one of these? A Perfect Christmas. What about this one? A Timeless Christmas. Or, or this one, A Christmas to Remember. Look at their creativity. All very creative. Now, I think some of our disdain for these Hallmark movies is that they all were the same. They had the same formula, the same plot line. They all went a little bit like this. Steve Borgalugi, is that you? Chloe Vander Fleming? Wow. Wow. It's good to sit. I had a crush on you in high school. Yeah, but now you were good looking. What are you doing for a living? I am a New York executive and I am having it all. Okay. What are you doing for a living? I chop down trees for people's Christmas living rooms. Oh, so you have no money. But he is broke. No, he isn't. What? He invented the internet. Well, now I am attracted to him. Right? I came to chop trees with you. I'm even wearing gloves. Wow, you've shown me that you're not just a cold, calculating, materialistic New York girl. You've showed me that you know that love is all that matters. Yeah, totally. Hey, Chloe, look in your jacket pocket. It's a surprise. 
A wedding ring. Of course, Steve, I will marry you. Great. Hey, Chloe, I have a confession. I am rich. So they're all the same. They're all like that. You know, they're all set the same setting. The acting is about that good. Now, I know I'm stepping on people's feet right now. Here's the problem. We lit the love candle tonight for Christmas. And if we're not careful, Christmas becomes a lot like a Hallmark movie. A little cheesy, <laughs> a little overly romantic, a, 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 a little bit uh, formulaic in its nature. But the, first, the birth of Jesus was nothing like a Hallmark movie. I mean, it was fraught with challenges, with, with suffering, with persecution, with displacement. Jesus became a refugee in it. It's a, it was, he was born into the most unromantic setting. It wasn't Connecticut in the fall or Muskoka in the winter. He was born into a dirty stable with animals put, placed in a feeding trough. Uh, Jesus was born into a world that was unwelcoming and dangerous. Yet it's significant, and this is why we celebrate it, because everything changed. When he was born, he ushered in a new era, a new administration, a new regime, a new kingdom that was so different than the kingdoms of this world. At the core of the kingdoms of this world is power and control and greed and money. We see it all over the world today, don't we? At the core of Jesus' kingdom was liberation, freedom, and love. See, his was not a colonial experience. The kingdom of the world is about colonializing. His kingdom was about liberating, and it was about love. And if I was to describe the love that Jesus brings, I probably would use these words to describe it. The love that he ushered in on that first Christmas was unconditional and aggressive love. And that word aggressive is a funny word, isn't it? To attach to love. Let me ask you this question. What type of love, when you look around the world, looks a little aggressive and unconditional? All the school teachers know it's parental love. Parents love that way. There's an unconditional, when they're healthy, there's an unconditional love and an aggressive love. Jesus describes this love in a story, a famous story in the Gospels called the prodigal son. And if you've never heard this story, let me give you the Coles Notes version of the story. There's a man, he has two sons. The youngest son wants his inheritance. He goes to his dad and he says, I want my inheritance now. Now, everyone, when Jesus was telling that story, would have gasped in the crowd because to wish for your inheritance before your father had died was to wish him dead. It was incredibly insulting. The father acquiesces, gives the inheritance to his son. If you know the story, he goes off to a, a, a town far away and he, he blows it all. He finds himself in squalor. He's desperate. He's broken. He's despised. He's defeated. His pride is gone. So he puts his tail between his legs and he walks back to his father's estate. How many know that his father was probably on the porch, arms crossed, seeing his son come up there, turn to his friend, this ought to be good. Or did he wag his finger in his son's face and say, you get down on your knees, I want to see some contrition before I love you again. No. It says in the story that the father, when he sees his son a far way off, he gets up and he runs to him, aggressively runs to him. He kisses him. He showers him with love. He pounces on him. It's incredible. And everyone in that culture would have said, listen, the father should have shown passive and conditional love because his son had blown his trust. But instead, he shows aggressive and unconditional love. I've always loved this painting 
This is by Rembrandt, the famous Dutch painter, and it's of the prodigal son. And he, he painted on purpose two different hands in the father's hand. One is more feminine, like a mom, and one is more masculine, like a dad. And Rembrandt was making the point that that's how God loves us. The unconditional love of a mother. No matter what they do, she's going to love you. And then the aggressive love of a father. That, that encapsulates us and how God responds to us. You know, you, when you think about this in life, God's not like a boss, he's like a good father. Like even if you have a good boss... You have a good boss and you're an employee and he really likes you or she really likes you. But if the employee messes up over and over again, as nice as that boss is, they're going to start thinking like, how do I get rid of you? <laughs> but when a, when a child messes up over and over and over again, it only intensifies the attention that the parent gives that child. It only intensifies their love. The more the child messes up, the more that parental love explodes towards that child if the parent is healthy. That's the way parental love kind of works. And that's the love that's on display here. But this type of love is really hard to receive. It's really hard to receive for two reasons. The first reason is some of you are just too self-reliant. You're too strong. That might sound funny. But some of you are so strong. You've had to survive in life. And you've built this protective callus around you. And so you have this posture of independence even pride of independence. It's not necessarily an arrogance. Your pride is rooted in the fact that people let you down. Maybe you have parents you couldn't depend on or others you couldn't depend on. So to open up and actually love and be loved means you have to let your guard down because you can't receive love unless you let your guard down. But you don't want to do that, and I'll tell you why. Because feeling loved is the same kind of feeling sometimes of feeling vulnerable needy and weak. It's that same thing. Like when you love someone, you're opening yourself up to the threat of being hurt. And you work so hard to control outcomes that you can't control the other person. So you have to let your guard down, open your arms, and risk the potential of being hurt. The irony is, the only way you can receive the love of Jesus is by admitting that you need it. Now, Jesus will love you regardless, but the way you receive it is by admitting you need it. To truly receive his love, not just as help, not just as truth, you need to open up your arms to him. Some of us are too self-reliant. Some of us are too self-loathing. See, life has a way of banging you, doesn't it? It doesn't have a way of just hitting hard. And when it does, sometimes some people get harder, sometimes some people break. And when we find ourselves in a place where we've been wounded, it's hard to receive unconditional love because it's hard to believe someone could love us because sometimes in life, we don't love ourselves. It's hard to believe that somebody else could love us or if that person is saying they love us, even Jesus saying he loves us, what are the strings, right? Because usually when people say they love you, it's because they want something from you, right? But Jesus comes and he says, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I have a gift to give to you. That's the type of love that Jesus brings. But there's no love like that without some measure of pain. You know, uh, in grade three, I had a school teacher that I loved. Her name was Miss Jocelyn. 
When I say I love, I mean, I don't mean like I loved her like she was a great teacher. I mean, I loved her. She, I, I, and I was crushed in grade four because over the summer she went and got married. I thought she'd wait for me. I really did. I thought I was convinced. I mean, she was the most amazing teacher ever. And she told great stories. And she told me a story I never forgot. Maybe some of you read it when you were kids. It's called The Velveteen Rabbit. How many have read that? If you're online, jump in the chat room, say, I read it. Some of you have read it. It's a fascinating story, worth a read even as an adult. In this story, there's two characters, the Velveteen Rabbit, and there's the Skin Horse. These are two toys, but they can talk, they can come alive. This is Toy Story before there ever was a Toy Story. And in the story, the, 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 the Skin Horse says to the Velveteen Rabbit, when a child loves you for a long, long time, then you become real. And the Velveteen Rabbit asks, does it hurt? And the Skin Horse says, oh yes, it hurts. That's why it doesn't happen to those who break easily or who have to be very carefully handled. By the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off. Shelley's really loved me. <laughs> most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes have dropped out and you get really loose joints and you look awfully shabby. But once you are real, you can't be ugly. To the one who holds you, to the one who made you. You are his treasure. You may feel ugly, but you're never ugly to him. He loves you with an undying love. Life has a way of wearing us off at the corners, maybe even making us look ugly, but he treasures you. Some people struggle to receive his love because they don't feel worthy of his love. Some people struggle to receive his love because they've done terrible things. And they find themselves in places like this, and they're going like, well, you know, I'm in church, and someone's talking about Jesus' love. That guy up front's talking about Jesus' love, and Jesus loves me. But, like, you don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. I mean, that's reserved for good living people, right living people. If you're brand new at One Church CO, I got a little bit of a spoiler alert for you. All the perfect people left a long time ago. It's just me and you. All of us have fallen short. None of us are perfect. God takes us just as, a, as we are, but I love this about Jesus. He never leaves us as we are. When you place yourself in his hands, he gets to work, changing us from the inside out. See, whether you're too self-reliant or too self-loathing, this is what scripture yells at, shouts to us today. Nothing in all creation, whether inside of you or outside of you, can separate you from the love of God as seen in Christ Jesus. Can everybody say this word, nothing? nothing? Nothing. But you don't understand, Jonathan. I hate God. He loves you. I don't believe in God. He believes in you. I don't feel worthy of it. He loves you. He loves you with an undying love. Actually, the story of Christmas... And Advent is probably summarized really best in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16. In it, it says, For God, who is the greatest object, subject ever, so loved the greatest affection ever in the world, the world, the greatest object, that he gave. He gave his one and only son the greatest gift ever given. Gave his one only son so that every single individual, this is the greatest offer. Anyone, 
Anyone can receive this love. Whoever simply trusts in him. If you know this verse, you know I added the word simply. And the reason I added this word is because I think religion gets it wrong so often. In the original language that the Apostle John wrote this verse, it was a Greek language. There's no adverb. There's no qualifier in the front of that word trust. But I think religion adds it all the time. People add it all the time. We will add things like, for whoever completely trusts him, or deeply trusts him, or sincerely trusts him. And John says, no, 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 no. Whoever trusts him. Jonathan, I have this much trust. That's enough trust. That's not, it's not about the quantity. It's about stepping into that place of trust. And here's, here's what it says, though. You, those who trust him would never be destroyed, the greatest rescue ever, but would even now have a deep, lasting life. It's the greatest promise ever. You see, Christmas is a love story. It's the greatest love story ever told. It's not a Hallmark production. It's not, not a, some cheesy, low-budget production that pulls in your heartstrings. It's been in production for centuries. It costs God everything, and it's free for everyone. I mean, that's the story of Christmas. In a moment, we're going to conclude this gathering by singing Joy to the World. We've done that for decades here at One Church Hill, and we're going to do it again tonight. Before we do, though, there's one candle yet to be lit, and that's the purple candle in the middle. Purple was always a sign of royalty in the ancient world, and this is called the Jesus candle. And we light this, and in doing so, we remember and acknowledge that Jesus did not come as a general in front of an army in a great power move. He didn't come as a, a man with a crown on his, on his head, ready to have, ascend a throne and have everybody bow. He slipped into this world cloaked in weakness and poverty. Why? Because Jesus didn't come as someone that was strong for the strong. He didn't come for those who could help themselves. He came for the weak. He came for the poor. He came for the suffering. He came for the tired. He came for the sick came for those who were just tired of trying to strive to be, to be, to be. came for those who knew they had failed, those who knew they had messed up. He came for those who knew they needed a Savior. He came and suffered. He came and died. He came and paid the penalty for sin, and he came to give love to all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you collectively as a community for the gift of your son, Jesus. And in this moment, in this space and place and time, we pray that the truth of Christmas, the hope, the peace, the love, the joy would invade our lives and transform our homes. Friends, I want to give you an opportunity to pray just to receive Jesus. I don't know where you're at spiritually, Maybe you feel like, uh, Jonathan, I, I have more questions. Great. Good. I'm glad you do. <laughs> Jonathan, you don't know who I am. I bet he knows who you are. I'll, I'll get my life cleaned up first. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. You come to him and you let him take care of those details. So if you want to receive Jesus, I'm going to say a simple prayer and you can receive his love tonight. You can say this in your own words. Jesus, Forgive me. I just want you to forgive me of everything that I've done 
that has hurt or harmed others, everything that I've done that's harmed myself or my relationship with you, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love, God. Change me from the inside out. I choose to let down my guard. I choose to let down my independence and recognize I have a need that has been scratching at my soul that I have been unable to fulfill no matter where I looked in this world. And so in this moment, I invite your spirit to fill me with your love and change me from the inside out. I want to experience the love of Jesus this Christmas season. And I receive that now with open arms. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.